Good morning, and those of you joining online, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm part of our preaching team. And uh, some of you heard that uh, after Christmas, I tested positive for COVID, and I'm fully recovered, and I'm doing great. And I, uh, yeah, thanks. I really, I really do sincerely appreciate your prayers. I know a lot of you that found out uh, were praying for me and for our family. Uh, no one else in the family got it. Uh, none of my wife or kids or my parents didn't get it. Uh, it's all kind of strange how, you know, different people react differently to stuff. And uh, we just have a saying in our house, the virus gonna virus. And you just kind of can't explain it. And, uh, but it was about, for me, it was about 12 days of kind of body aches and low-grade fever and um, not super fun. It really wasn't great. But I'm glad to be back, and I do appreciate your prayers. And I'm, I'm excited for this year. I'm looking forward to 2021. I'm looking forward to pursuing the mission God's given us to uh, make disciples and to preach the gospel and to be uh, loving to our neighbors. I just I, I think that what God's going to do through the organized ministry of our church, as well as through the scattered organic ministry, is you go out and you love your neighbors and you love the people you work with and you uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus in relationship. I just think God's going to do really sweet things, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. If you want to be part of that, if you want to be part of what we're doing as a church, if you're new, the very first best step for you to take is to go to Start Here. There's information about it in your program, on the online program, uh, but go to Start Here. That's a great kind of first step into what the church is about. If you've been around a while and you kind of go, you know what, I actually really want to get in the game. I want to start to serve. I want to be connected in community. I want to know people. I want to be known. I want to be in relationship. Rooted is the class for you. That's really a four-week class, helps you kind of think through what it looks like to put down roots here, and we'd love you to do that. We'd love to partner in ministry with you in that. Both those classes are coming up soon, so uh, please do look into that. Uh, last Sunday was our 10th anniversary as Redemption Church. 10 years. Um, not This congregation's older than that. We're about 12 years old. Um, but uh, two years into it, a, a bunch of churches came together to form this multi-congregational thing that we now call Redemption Church. And so last week was 10 years of that. It was pretty cool that the 10th anniversary on January 10th, we launched our 10th congregation. I actually got to be there at Redemption North Mountain uh, last Sunday afternoon, and it was sweet. Sweet. They, uh, the problem is they did too good of a job. Like there were no snafus, there were no problems. Our first Sunday, the power, you know, we overloaded the power circuit, and you know, so we have all these cool memories. They don't have any memories other than how great it was, right? So, um, but they took some time at the end and they prayed for me and they prayed for us, and it was just a really sweet uh, moment. So I had had planned a message last week uh, related to that, related to why we're still better together after all these years. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do that message next week. So uh, that's what we'll do next week. But today, we're going to continue in our study here in the Gospel of John. We're at the end of John chapter 6. And uh, I'm especially excited to preach this passage because this passage that we just read, this is the passage God used to bring me to Jesus. And so uh, I just am excited about what the Lord might do through that and through this, this text today. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you for your love for us, for your commitment to us, for your word that helps us know you the way you reveal yourself to us. And we pray, God, that today you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see Jesus as a treasure, that we would see Jesus as one that's worth being sold out for, that our affection for him would not be conditional, but it would be unwavering. Use your word. Send your spirit. Speak today to your people. Feed us, nourish us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, this is a pretty short passage, especially <laughs> compared to last week. Holy smokes, that was a long one last week. So I get the shorter one today. And uh, just kind of overview of what's in this text is really two main truths. The first is that Jesus is hard to follow. The second is that Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is hard to follow, but it's worth it because he's our only hope. So first, let's look at this truth uh, that, that Jesus is hard to follow. That's the idea that we get in chapter 6, verse 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Now, uh, you have to understand in chapter 6, Jesus had fed multitudes of people, maybe as many as 10 or 12 or 15,000 people. Um, a bunch of those people stuck around to hear what he had to say. Um, and what we find in the rest of John chapter 6 is that this, this larger group of people, John just calls them the Jews, kind of the crowd, were grumbling about stuff. In verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came from heaven. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves. Uh, he's just talking about the, the kind of the whole group. But now in verse 60, the grumbling comes to the disciples. Now, when we hear disciples, we think of the 12, but actually John's going to distinguish between this larger group of disciples and the 12. He'll distinguish that in this passage. So what we have here in verse 60 is this larger group of people who've developed some kind of affection for Jesus. They're, they kind of maybe consider themselves followers. That's what disciple means, a follower. They're a learner. They're, they're kind of hanging on the words of Jesus and going, oh yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this. I want to know more. This isn't just the crowd. These are people who have some kind of connection, some kind of commitment to Jesus even that they're called disciples. And it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now that word hard doesn't mean hard to understand. It doesn't mean too complex. It doesn't mean too complicated. What it means is harsh or offensive. So they're not there saying, oh, this is too complex. This is too hard. I don't get it. No, they're saying this is offensive. This is a harsh saying. This is an offensive saying. I don't, I don't like this. It's interesting how often we hear something that we don't like and we say, well, I don't understand it. I don't get it. The reality is a lot of times we get it. We just don't like it. These guys, at least they're honest, they say, this is a hard, this is harsh. Who can listen to it, they say. Other translations say, who can accept it? Who can, who can swallow this pill? This is a tough pill to swallow. I don't know if I like this. Like I, this, is, this is just, I can't believe this. I can't embrace this. I'm not interested. Well, what was it that was so offensive? Well, if you look back in chapter six, you actually find that there were four things that were very offensive, and all four of these things are actually things that are still offensive today. What were they taking offense at? What did they view as, as the hard, unacceptable saying? Well, the first thing they found offensive was that Jesus rejects their political hopes. Jesus rejects their political hopes. Look at verse 15. If you have your Bible, you can scroll up to verse 15. It says, this is after he fed the crowds. It said, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, these people had political hopes. They were hoping that embracing Jesus as the Messiah meant that this was gonna be a takeover. We're gonna overthrow Rome. We're gonna overthrow the people that neglect us. We're gonna overthrow the people that don't like us. We're gonna become in power now. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not willing to be used 
for your political hopes. You know there are people today who still use Jesus for their partisan political hopes. One of the last days that I was feeling sick was the day that the thing at the Capitol happened. I mean, normally on a Wednesday I wouldn't be sitting home watching TV, but I was sitting home watching TV. I didn't have anything else to do. And one of the most heartbreaking things about it was all the signs about Jesus. A lot of people doing what they were doing in the name of Jesus. I gotta tell you, Jesus had nothing to do with what was happening there. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were of this world, my disciples would fight. But my kingdom's not of this world. See, people back then, people today, want to use Jesus for their political agenda. Jesus says, I'm not willing to do that. People find that offensive. In late November, uh, Matthew Brazelton, one of our pastors, he's one of our elders, we were talking and we were just having a conversation about kind of how uh, we lament how, how much as Christians we get sort of sucked up into this we have to take control narrative. And we were kind of talking about that and had a, he made just a lot of really great points. At the end of it, I just said, hey, will you just write down what you kind of just said to me? Because I think that I would just, I'd love to be able to reflect on it more. And so he, he wrote it down. And I've been thinking a lot about what he said. And I want to share it with you because I think it, it relates to this idea of Jesus rejecting their political hopes. Here's what Matthew Brazelton wrote. He said, I've been thinking about the shift the church needs to make in light of the current national moment. This was before the Capitol thing. This was in November. For a long time, American evangelicalism has viewed its fight for cultural reform through sanctified cultural means, politics, music, media, etc. We were culture warriors, a moral majority using our power and influence, tools of the world, to push the way of Jesus onto our culture. However, Jesus never modeled changing culture through power. Instead, he laid aside his power and he came in weakness. He changed our world not by fighting culture with power, but by living a subversive counterculture of weakness, self-sacrifice, and love. Evangelicals now exist on the cultural margins. We've lost much of our power and direct influence. To pretend differently is foolish. If power is our only hope, then we have no choice but to form unholy alliances with other power structures in order to continue our misguided mission. However, if we see our mission as not changing the existing culture, but living in an entirely different countercultural, the kingdom of God, we can take a new path. We can live quietly and let love be our banner. We can do the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Amen. Amen to that. We will not use Jesus to get what we really want, which is political power. And when Jesus pulls the rug out from under that, there's a lot of people who go, oh, I don't like this. So that's the first thing that was offensive. The second thing that was offensive in John 6 was that Jesus wants to meet more than just their physical needs. Look at verse 26. In verse 26, uh, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're not impressed, really, by, wow, who, who can turn this much bread into, like, leftover bread? Like, that? you don't even care about that. You just want the bread. You're like, oh, man, we found this vending machine guy. We just follow him around. We'll never, you know, we'll never have a work another day in our life. We'll have all the food we need. 
Jesus says, no, 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 I want to meet more than your physical needs. This physical miracle was pointing to a spiritual reality. And if you just want to use me as kind of a vending machine, God, I'm not interested in that. One of the most penetrating questions somebody asked me once is they said, what if you could have heaven? You could die and go to heaven, and in heaven, you'd have all the things you ever hoped heaven would include, right? It would be amazing meals, all the best golf you could play, like the best tools, you know, the greatest reconnection with family and lost friends and like you just have everything you ever want. The weather's perfect, right? No summer, no Arizona summer. Every day feels like March, right? You can have all that, but no God. He's not there. Do you want it? And the reality is if you say, well, yeah, I, I kind of think I'd be okay with that then what Jesus is saying is too hard and at the moment's gonna come when you're gonna walk away. Because Jesus isn't okay with that. Jesus isn't okay with just kind of meeting all your wants and your dreams and your physical desires. He wants to be what meets your needs. He wants to be the bread of life that you feed on. He wants to be the one who sustains and fuels and strengthens you. He wants to be your everything. And if you go, ah, I don't know if I want that, then you'll probably... Walk away from Jesus at some point. Here's the third thing in chapter six that was so offensive is that Jesus claims to be more than their understanding of religion. Their understanding of religion was all based on Moses and the law. And in verse 32, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gives you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. See, they still don't get it. Jesus says, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Their understanding of religion was that that, that it was all about Moses and it was all about the law and it was all about the synagogue and the temple and the sacrifices and it was all about what you did to keep God happy. It was all about your works. It was all about your effort. It was all about your goodness. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This isn't about you trying to get to God. This is about how God has come down to you, and I'm him. And, and, and you feast on me. You believe in me. You trust in me, and I'm enough. See, there are some today still who Jesus messes with your understanding of, of religion. You think that the point of God and the point of Jesus and the point of church and the point of all this stuff is just be a good person. That's why you're here. You're hoping that I will inspire you, that I will give you something positive to think about so that you can go out there and be good. Or at least be better than them. And I just am here to tell you, that's false religion. Jesus came and he said, you could never be good enough. You have to look to me. I'm the only one who's good enough. Here's the fourth reason why they take offense. And I think this is especially what's in mind here when they say in verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Here's the the fourth reason is that Jesus seems too extreme. He just seems too extreme. I want a moderate religion. I want to sprinkle this in. I want God to be my co-pilot. I don't want God to take over. And Jesus just seems 
too extreme. Here he is in John 6 talking about that believing in him is like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And not only does that just sound weirdly cannibalistic, but it's just extreme. And yet here, I want you to make sure you see what Jesus means when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So put these verses up. This is verse 40. And notice the parallels between these verses. In verse 40, Jesus says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now notice this next verse, how similar the language is. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So in both verses, somebody has eternal life and raised on the last day. In the first one, it's whoever believes. In the second one, it's whoever eats and drinks, eats my flesh and drinks my blood. So question, is Jesus advocating cannibalism? No. Another question, is Jesus saying that the only way you can have eternal life is if you eat communion, if you take the mass? No. What he's saying, it's, it's an illustration. He's saying believing in me is like eating my flesh and drinking my blood. It's like finding all your sustenance and your nourishment and your flavor and your enjoyment in me. That's extreme. This is not just asking Jesus to come into your heart to help you a little bit. It's saying, Jesus, take over. Jesus, be everything. And that's a hard, offensive saying. To say, you don't have goodness in you. You can't satisfy yourself. You'll try, you'll look, you'll pursue, you'll go, but you'll never, ever find it. That's offensive. Notice that Jesus then doesn't afterwards soften his message. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 wait, you didn't understand. This is one of the things I just so admire about Jesus, right? In a world where so many of us as leaders and other people who lead, right, there's always this like, well, what did people think? You know, take the temperature, which way is the wind blowing? Jesus is not interested in that. He's going like, here it is, take it or leave it. He, goes, he knows they're grumbling. He says, do you take offense at this? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He's going, I showed you an unbelievable miracle when I turned all that bread into more bread and fish into more fish and I fed all these people. Then I walked on the water. Like, what, what more do you want to see? This isn't going to help you. Verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Verse 65, he said, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Jesus is going, I'm not surprised that you don't like this. You don't have the Spirit of God. You can't just rationalize your way into this faith. God has to open your heart. God has to give you his grace. God has to pour out his Spirit. You can't figure it out on your own. It won't make sense without the Spirit of God. And then this devastating verse in verse 66. After this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. There it is. They had it. That's enough. I'm out. They turned back. 
and no longer walked with him. Let me ask you, what would happen in your life that might tempt you to turn back? We're saying, you know what, Jesus, I want to follow you if I stay healthy, if my life continues to be pretty comfortable, if you answer the prayer for my grandma in the hospital, if, 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 if. But God, if you don't, I might be out. What do you sense in yourself? What is it that might make you go, I'm out? Not out of the church, not out of this church, out of Jesus. And here's the thing, I, I wish we could say this was the last time this happened. But all of us who've been around Jesus for a while, we know people who turn back and no longer walked with him. Maybe it's because of some suffering that happened. It's interesting with suffering. For a lot of true Christians, suffering is the thing that draws them closer to God, that fuels their heart for the Lord, that keeps them going, where they say, you know what, the worst thing in the world happened, and it actually turned out to be the best thing. God used it in my life. But suffering also, for some other people, says, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for a good life with Jesus, and this doesn't feel good, and I'm out. What would make you turn back? This verse is the verse that God used to save me. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I was a junior in high school, 17 years old, and I'd begun a relationship, a friendship with a guy who had just finished college. He lived a couple houses up the street. His name was JR. He was maybe 22 or 23, just, just finished school. And he was real athletic. He'd played football at Colorado, and I kind of I was an athlete, so I was kind of interested in kind of who he was, and, and we kind of built a friendship, and he said, well, hey, what would you think about getting together and just reading through the Gospel of John together? And I considered myself a Christian. I was part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I went to church sometimes, and so it was like, yeah, I, I'd be happy to do that. That would be great. And so we didn't have a curriculum, no workbook, nothing. We just kind of just opened the Bible, and we'd read it. I think we kind of read a chapter each time we met, and then we'd talk about it. Well, when we got to chapter 6, we got to verse 66. He looked at me in the eyes and he said, Luke, I think you might be one of the people that would turn back. As I've gotten to know you a little bit, you're a good kid. Your friends, parents like you. Your teachers like you. But I kind of wonder if you're just using Jesus to make yourself look good. But if things really got hard, I just, I just am not, I wonder if you would be sold out for him no matter what. Think of the courage it takes to say that to somebody. And yet what love, what grace. Well, I didn't feel that way at the time, I was mad. And I, I held it together because I could do that. But I remember going home and being mad. How dare he say that? How, he doesn't know that. How, does he, how can he judge me? He doesn't know my heart. I was mad. And you know why I was most mad? Because he was right. And my shtick 
my hypocrisy had been exposed for what it was. And that began a wrestling match with God. Praying, reflecting, wondering, thinking, reading. God, where am I? Am I, am I just following you when it's convenient? What would it look like to be sold out for you? And I don't remember the exact day or time, but I remember at some point in those next few weeks, God opened my heart. Verse 65 happened, and it was granted to me by the Father. And I fell on my knees, and I said, Lord, I want you, no matter what. I want to be sold out for you, no matter what happens. I don't want to use you. I want to follow you. And God saved me. I came to the same place that Peter comes to in the next section, which is this, that Jesus is our only hope. That was my conclusion. That was Peter's conclusion. In the next verse, in verse 67, Jesus turns to the 12, and he asks them, do you want to go away as well? I I love this. This is not an insecure question from Jesus. Like, guys, we're down to 12, and one of you is going to betray me. I mentioned that. So we're at 11 please don't go. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, what do you think, guys? You've heard what I have to say. You've seen who I am. Are you out? I think this is actually the same gift Jesus gives to them as the gift that JR gave to me, is they really do believe, and they get to actually have a moment where they say, yeah, we do. And so Simon Peter, who's, you know, ready, fire, aim, he's always the spokesman, whether he's appointed it or not, he answers, verse 68, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's how I felt all those years ago. Lord, where else am I going to go? I I can't find life anywhere else. Why would I just follow this when it's convenient? You are God. You are enough. You speak the words of eternal life. I love this question, Lord, to whom shall we go? See, here's the thing. You will go somewhere. Nobody's neutral. Nobody's heart is neutral. You're going somewhere. You're feeding on something. You're looking for something. You're worshiping someone. Where are you going to go? Because you're going to go somewhere. Are you going to worship yourself? Are you going to find your life in your bank account? Are you going to find it in your social status? Are you going to find it in the health of your family? Are you going to find it in spiritualism and spirituality and meditation? Are you going to find it in the power of positive thinking? Where are you going to find it? Because you're going to look for it somewhere. And the invitation of Jesus is, find it in me. I'm your only hope. This is what I love about what Peter says. You have the words of eternal life. No one else does. Jesus, you're not just giving a a few good moral tips to improve our life. You are speaking the truth. Why? Well, because verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen, the word holy means unique, set apart, No one's like him. It's what they're saying. They're saying, Jesus, there's nobody else like you. You're not one path of many. You're the path. Where else are we going to go, Jesus? You're the Holy One of God. 
We believe it. We know it. That's who you are. So let me ask you today what JR asked me. Are you using Jesus to get what you really want? Political hopes, needs met, have a good religious life, have a moderate experience of Jesus? Or are you willing to come to him, open hands, on your knees, say, Jesus, I'm, I'm just going to follow you no matter what. I'm going to be sold out for you no matter what. You're the Holy One of God. You're the one who was betrayed. It mentions that twice. Betrayed. You were holy. You were righteous. You were sinless. You deserved to be worshipped and adored. And instead, you were betrayed. And you hung on a cross for sins that you did not commit, for sins that you didn't deserve to die for, and yet you died in my place for me, and you were buried, and you were raised, and you ascended just like you said you would, and you're coming back. Jesus, where else am I going to go? That's the invitation of Jesus. That's the invitation today. You could find life in him. You won't find it anywhere else. You won't get it anywhere else. You will seek, and you will run into walls. It'll fit for a while. It'll feel good for a while. And then it won't pay off. Jesus is offering us life. He's saying, come to me. He's not insecure, but he's asking, where are you going to go? Come with me. That's what he's saying. That's the invitation today. Come, follow me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the truth that he is the Holy One of God. That there's nowhere else we could go to find the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else we could go to find the bread that truly gives eternal life. God, today as we reflect on this, I pray that you would give faith. I pray that there would be people watching this online and people here in the room who realize that they've been adjacent to you they've been around you they've been kind of connected to you but they haven't been surrendered to you and God I pray that today would be that day of surrender I pray it would be the day of faith I pray that it would be the day of new life I pray that it would be the day when we stop using you and instead we just follow you God thank you for the grace of the Father for the pouring out of the Spirit that gives us life We pray in Christ's name.